2. Mark chapter number 2. And I know the time, so if you look at your watch, you'll know it too. Just relax. We'll be all right. And uh, this, pa- this message this morning, I believe, is a timely message. And I love how the Lord works all those together. And I believe with Resurrection Sunday coming up, Easter Sunday coming before too long, I think that this passage is a good springboard. And you'll see this morning, this morning's message is going to go like this. I'm going to tell a story through the Bible, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to insert some dialogue along with verses 1 through 12. When we get through verse number 12, then I'm going to give you some takeaways and some application for the message, and then that will be it. We look at this passage, and we've been in Mark now. We, it only took us seven weeks to get through one chapter. There's 16 chapters, so 16 times 7, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. Of, it's gonna, it might take us a while. Some sh- chapters might be a little shorter, but that's okay. What we saw happen two weeks ago, last week we had Brother Young with us, but what took place was we see at the end of chapter number 1, Jesus healed the leper. Remember the leper came to him? And that leper, when he came to Jesus, Jesus told him, now go your way, don't say anything, go home, and he didn't listen. He told everybody about what Jesus did. We see the end of chapter number one there, it says, but what, what happened was Jesus could no more go into the city there, and so he went without in desert places, and they came to him in every quarter. So Jesus' ministry continues on, and he is preaching the word of God. Now we get to chapter number two. And we're going to dive right in, and we see number one, if you're following along with the outline, we're going to look at the setting. What's the setting of this passage of Scripture? What do we see take place? So we see number one, the setting, and now we look at verse number one, and look at what it says. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days. Now think with me for a minute. Jesus, didn't he start in Capernaum? The synagogue where that man was possessed, where was that at? Capernaum. He went to Peter's mother, well, Peter's house, and healed Peter's mother-in-law. Where did that take place? Capernaum. When that happened, remember, at the end of the day, people were lined up all over once the Sabbath ended. They were all lined up, waiting for Jesus to heal them, talk to them, whatever the case may be. And then remember, Jesus went off to pray the next morning. The disciples were like, where did you go? There's people waiting for you and says, it's time we keep on going. We got to keep preaching. I got to keep moving forward. And he left Capernaum. Some time goes by. We know he heals the leper. He preaches in these cities. Now he comes back to Capernaum. Now look at what the Bible tells us as we look here. The Bible tells us that again he entered in Capernaum, and it was noise that he was in the house. What house was Jesus at? It doesn't tell us specifically, but I tend to think it must be Simon's house again. Because it's the house. This is the house where he healed Peter's mother-in-law. This is the house where all the people came. He's in the house. And it says it was noise that he was there. Now, people don't have like us today. They didn't, you know, Jesus didn't come walking into town. They grabbed their phone and took a picture of Jesus sent to all their buddies and said, Jesus is in town, come see him. The local news, ABC 7, didn't come and say, story to report to you tonight, we saw Jesus come back into town, he's at the house again, come see him. No, the city, Jesus came, and the city, it says it was noised abroad, and people 
got the word that Jesus was in the house. Now, as this takes place, we see, look at what it says in verse number 2. And straightway, many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. Now, look at this. This house was filled with people. Jesus was a crowd magnet. The people came to Now, I wish that they were coming to him for the right reasons. And I don't know the heart of people, but we know through the Gospels that through time when Jesus preached the hard truth about who he was, many of them left him. But he's there, and this house is packed. There is no room anywhere. Now, you've got to remember, a Baptist preacher might get up and say the room is full. And that could be an exaggeration, okay? But if the Bible says that there was no room anywhere in the house, even out, there was no room. Social distancing was thrown away. There was no such thing as social distancing in this house. There was people everywhere in this house. And the Bible even uses a double negative here. No, not. That's just to give you, it intensifies the situation, lets you know this house was packed with people. So we keep on reading, and the Bible says, and he preached the word unto them. Something of interesting note, if you care about words and things. The word preach there is different. In chapter number one, where the word preach is used, it says, remember how he preached about, the re, um, about repentance for the remission of sins? That's crying aloud, sparing not. That's a heralding your voice, preaching. Here, he was in the house. He was talking. Pleasant words. It was more of a teaching time. You know, when you think about that, imagine the house is full of people and Jesus is yelling away and it just doesn't fit. And you know, and you've got to understand something when it comes to ministry and it comes to the way we conduct our lives, there are times for preaching. Hard preaching. Getting with it a little bit. And there are times for nice conversation and dialogue. Those are important. We see that here. And so Jesus preached the word in this house. This house is full of people. It's pretty crazy. Now, that's the setting. He's back in Capernaum. The house is full of people, and Jesus is teaching. We see number two, we see the sickness. What takes place? Look at verse number three. The Bible says, And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy. Now, being sick of the palsy... This word, the word palsy, describes someone who had lost control of his body, either because of a stroke, a disease, or maybe from birth. This man does, cannot walk. This man is crippled, and he's sick. And so the Bible tells us that this man came to Jesus. But it says that they come unto him. People brought this man to Jesus. Now, as we keep on reading, we see some more things here. It says, which was born of four. There were four men carrying this man to Jesus. Now, I've never been to Capernaum. I, someday I would love to go, and, and we should all start saving our money now and do a Jerusalem trip as a church. That would be great. So we start saving money now, and in a couple years, 10, 20, no, whenever, however long it takes to save the money, we should do it. Capernaum is a hilly, rocky area. They were not just carrying a man on the sidewalk, okay? Literally, they had his bed. Think of a blanket stretched out. 
They were on all four corners carrying this man's bed, carrying him to Jesus because they heard that Jesus was in town. That's what's taking place here. It says, And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And then look what it says. And, they, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press. Could you imagine? They had been carrying this guy who knows how far. Now, this thing. Was this their friend? Was it a family member? Was it some guy on the street? The Bible doesn't tell us. Because it's not important. Sometimes people try to figure out all the things that the Bible leaves blank. That means it's not really important. Don't worry about it. And don't ever try to major on things that the Bible talks very little about. Major on the majors. You're going to see what the majors are here in a minute in this passage. So could you imagine, though, that this guy, get him close, and they get close to the house. And there's people everywhere. Even people outside, there's nowhere to get them in. Ever go somewhere? Especially, I think, back with COVID over this past year. I remember one day I was going to go to Sam's Club. This is back in late March of last year. And the line was all the way down by Coles. So what did I do? Got right back in the car and I left. Because <laughs> uh, I needed to go to Sam's Club, but it wasn't that important to wait down by Coles. And that was a crazy line. Can you imagine these guys, they carry this guy, friend, relative, some guy they found. They know if they get him to Jesus, Jesus can help them. They get close to the house, and all of a sudden, there's people everywhere. How can I get to Jesus? How can we get this guy to Jesus? He's on a bed. All these things. They had to be a little discouraged. But look what the Bible says. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof, the roof, where he was. And when they had broken it up, now think with me here for a minute. They literally uncovered the roof of this house. Now, that might not be, you might not think anything of that, but there's some things to think about. A lot of houses in those days, they would use, the roof was flat. They would use it for like a balcony type thing. You'd have kind of stairs that would lead up there and different things. So, in, they saw the house is full and they had to get to Jesus. So, one of them probably had a bright idea. Let's carry the guy up the side of the house and let's put him in the house. That's quite an idea. Now, think with me. How would you like to be the homeowner? The homeowner here, let's say it's Peter. I think, th I think this is Peter's house. Let's say it's Peter's house. And people are everywhere in your house to begin with. Your house is all messed up because you got people everywhere. People aren't going to leave you alone. And all of a sudden, Jesus is teaching. In the middle of teaching, dust starts falling from the sky. And before long, the sun is shining in the living room of this house could how would you be if you were at your house and someone was teaching the word of god and all of a sudden the sun shining the sun shining down on you in your house like what are you doing you know the roofs back in those days they had mortar tar sand branches mud they literally got a hole now you might think to yourself well god it didn't have to be too big this guy you just lower him straight down no look at what the bible says here 
And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they lay, they let down the bed. Think this, this hole had to be big enough for the entire bed to be dropped in. It could have been the whole roof on the house. Who knows? But literally, they take the, Jesus brings the house down. Think about that one. Yeah. The roof is off. They lower their friend down. What a sight to behold. Imagine, man, I get distracted when people get up and go use the bathroom. Jesus wasn't deterred. This all takes place, and we see number three, we see a startling statement from Jesus. Look at verse number five. When Jesus saw their faith, you know, he didn't get up and say, hey guys, guys, I'm teaching right now. Quiet. Stop what you're doing. No, he, wow. The first time in the book of Mark the word faith is used. Jesus saw the faith of who? The four guys up on the roof that broke the roof open, carried their friend or whoever he was, brought him up the ladder, and lowered him down because he had to get to Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, now that phrase, when Jesus saw their faith, hold that in your mind because that's where the application comes in at the end of the message. We're going to continue on with the story here. And look at what, and we see that what does Jesus say? He saw their faith, but he says unto the man sick of the palsy, the first, he says, son. This is the term of deep affection, meaning my child. Matthew 9, 2 talks about how he said, son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. To forgive sin means to send them away to cancel a debt. Now, it's interesting to me. Look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Did the men drop this man or, man or lower him down into the house? What did they lower him down for? To be healed of not being able to walk, of being crippled. But do you know the greatest need is what Jesus took care of first? Do you know the greatest need of mankind today is not physical healing? It's spiritual healing. He said, hey, son... Who's walking with God's family. Your sins be forgiven thee. Isn't that just wonderful to think about? Those men that brought him, they thought the greatest thing Jesus could do is heal this man and get up and walk out of here. But Jesus, he saw their faith. And I think the man, you know, you think about this. The man who was sick of the palsy had to have some faith too. You want guys trying to carry you up the side of the house? You're already crippled. What are they going to do, drop you? Or they're going to, you know, we have elevators and things today. There were no elevators back in Jesus' day. He knew that if he could get to Jesus, Jesus could do something. Hey, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Forgiveness of sin is at the heart of Christianity. And it's the greatest miracle that's ever taken place. Not the healing of the blind. Not the healing of the lame. But the forgiveness of sins. Not quite what everyone was expecting. Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Startling statement. Which leads to some skepticism of the scribes. 
Now we notice that there were scribes in the house here. The scribes' main job was to copy the scripture and to be the guardians of the word of God. Why were they in the house? They were probably listening to make sure that what Jesus was saying didn't contradict the scripture. They were sitting there trying to see if he would mess up. It's interesting that in this house where there was no room anywhere, they're the ones sitting down. Like they're in judgment. Like they're checking what he's saying, keeping an eye on things. Now look at what the Bible says, verse number 6. So after Jesus says, thy sins be forgiven, then you look at verse number 6. But there was certain of the scribes sitting there. They're sitting there. So there were friends of Jesus in this house. There were enemies of Jesus in this house. Now look at what it says. It says, and they reasoning in their hearts. Let me just help you with something. They did not say a word out loud. So what did they do here? The scribes are there. Jesus just says, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And they started reasoning in their minds. And the scribes are thinking this in their minds. They didn't say it out loud. But look at what it says. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? You'll notice that in chapter number 2, as we go through this chapter, that every, there's a question provoked by the behavior of Jesus or the disciples throughout chapter number 2. Why is he speaking this blasphemy? Because God only can save, right? That's what they said. That's what we see right here. Who can forgive sins but God only? Now let me help you out for a second here, okay? The scribes were exactly right. Because only God can forgive sins. The book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 25 says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sin." This is what happens. Isaiah, you want to help me for a minute? And Alfredo, you want to help me for a minute? So three of us one day are talking. And Alfredo decides, you're not going to really do this, but you're going to take your hand and you're going to punch Isaiah. Make it a little bit more real. <laughs> he punches Isaiah. Alfredo, I forgive you for punching Isaiah. You're like, um... Isaiah would be like, why are you forgiving? He hit me. He didn't hit you. <laughs> That's how it is with sin. Sin is done against God. That's why God's the only one who can forgive sin. That's why you can have a seat. That's why in the scriptures it tells us that David said, again, thee, thee only have I sinned. Because sin is against God. That's why God is the only one who can forgive sins. So you've got to understand something. They were right in saying... God's the only one who can forgive sins. The thing that they didn't understand is that Jesus is God right there before their very eyes. They didn't quite understand that. We see there was some skepticism from them, which leads to number five, a scolding from Jesus. Now, I love what happens here. Jesus not only forgives sins, but he reads minds. Let me help you real quick. This is a side note. This is extra this morning, which is only something God can do. 
got to understand, these people did not say a word, these scribes. They thought it. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. Why? Because he's God. Now, I know we have a lot of people, and you might be sitting here today, you might be watching online this morning, and you might say, well, I know what they're thinking. No, you don't. You do not know what someone else is thinking. Quit playing God in people's lives and saying you know what someone else thinks. You don't know. Hey, ladies, you don't know what your husband's thinking. Oh, but I can tell. No, you can't. You're not God. And guys, you will never know what your wife is thinking, okay? So don't even try. Not worth it. But I hear a lot of Christians. I know what they're thinking. You don't. Quit playing mind games and quit trying to read people's minds. God does that. You don't know someone's heart either. Only God does. There's only something that God could do. We see a little scolding from Jesus. It says in verse number 8, and immediately, there's another one of those times. Doesn't Jesus, doesn't Mark like using the word immediately and straightway? He loves those words. And it says, and immediately, look what it says there. When Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Imagine being those scribes sitting right there. And you're thinking to yourself, This guy is speaking blasphemy. How does he have the right to forgive sins? And Jesus says, I know what you're thinking. I know exactly what you're thinking. Like, oh, you don't know what we're thinking. And then he goes into it. Look at verse number 9. He gave them, he asked them a question that no doubt confused them a little bit more. Now, Jesus was very good. At being, and one of the things I love, Jesus' critics, he always had the right things to say. They never, they never could figure Jesus out. Look at what it says in verse number 9. Whether it's easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed, and walk. You know, at first glance, you look at that verse, and you say, well, it's easier to tell someone their sins are forgiven because you really don't know if they are or not. You can say it all you want. You know, I can say, Isaiah, your sins are forgiven. You don't know if they are or not. You can say it if you want. And that's what Jesus is talking about right here. And you look at this, you look at it, and you say it's easy. It'd be easy to say, hey, your sins are forgiven. Or, hey, you get up and walk. It's easy to say it. But both are almost impossible. They are impossible and difficult for man to do. Both are only possible with God. So look at what Jesus does. Look at verse number 10. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Now, little thought before we go any further. The miracles that Jesus took did. His ministry was not the miracles. The miracles were the proof that he was who he said he was. Don't ever miss that. The miracles were not the ministry. There are people, and God can heal and God can do all the things that he wants to. He's God. And in, in Mark chapter number 1, he healed many, but he didn't heal everybody. He decides those things. Some people focus way too much on those signs, the healing signs, the tongue signs, the different things. They were all meant, as we see here, to show the people who Jesus really was. 
this was an opportunity for the scribes to see, hey, he really is who he's claiming to be. So it says, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. He tells them. It's interesting. Jesus is the only one who spoke this whole time. Yeah, the scribes were thinking something, but they didn't say it out loud. Jesus is the only one speaking. And he says, whether I say your sins are forgiven you or I say rise up, what's easier? And he, looks, he says, the reason that this is happening is so that you can know who I am. And what does Jesus do? He turns to the man that's been lowered through the roof there. He's had a long day had a long life says hey get up get your bed go home I love that one of the things that I that you notice and something I didn't notice till this week as I was studying this passage do you realize Jesus tells a lot of people after he heals them to go home because faith must first be lived out at home before it can go anywhere else let your family see what God's done in you. Powerful stuff. I might park there another day. But it's amazing. We see number six. We see a sensational cure. Picture the scene. House is full of people. This guy gets lowered in. He's there. Jesus just gets done saying, hey, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes are thinking their whole thing. And, he, and Jesus speaks a little bit to them. Then he turns to the guy and says, all right, time to get up. What takes place? Look at verse number 12. And immediately, there's that word again. He arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. The man did what he was commanded. Immediately he got up. This man who maybe from birth, maybe at some point in his life he got sick, that man got up. Can you imagine? I can just picture the scribes sitting there. The man's like, I got to go home. Excuse me. And he steps over them and gets around. Can you imagine what they're thinking in their minds right then? We look at this, and Jesus healed him. But the Bible says, insomuch that they were all amazed. Well, who was amazed? It wasn't the scribes. Maybe you want to say it was the scribes. You can say that if you want. But I sincerely believe that those who were amazed were the four men on the roof. You say, well, why? Because the end of the verse kind of describes it a little bit. They, after they, they were all amazed, they were glorifying God, and they said, we never saw it on this fashion. We thought he was just going to heal him. We didn't realize he'd take his sins away as well. That's why it had to be those guys. Now look at what happens. Jesus heals them. They walk out. These men see from up above. The Bible says they were amazed. That means to be blown away like, whoa. Wasn't expecting that. And when the work of God is done, God is glorified. That's the way it works. And we see these guys were just amazed. We brought him to be cured, and he not only cured him and fixed him, but he forgave him of his sins. What a 
that's this passage of Scripture. I want you to go back with me to verse number 5. That's my story for today. And now I'm going to give you some takeaways and some application will be done. Verse number 5, the Bible tells us, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. What I noticed in this passage, what stuck out to me, was whose faith did Jesus see? He saw their faith. The men up above that brought this man to Jesus. Sometimes Jesus acts in a person's life because of the faith of someone else. We see that in this passage. The best help you can give anyone today is to get them to Jesus Christ. The best help. Now let's be honest here this morning. Some of you might not like this statement. Some watching online might not like this statement. But sometimes as a pastor, I've got to say statements that are true, even if people don't like them. I've heard people tell me for the past year, and there's still some people that haven't come back to church, and that's fine, you do what God leads you to do. But one of the reasons they say they just aren't comfortable coming back to church is they would hate to give COVID to someone else sitting in the building. That's their feeling on it. So, you don't ever go to church never witness very hypocritical so why for the past year you know people still die and go to hell they do hell hasn't changed god didn't say oh there's a pandemic in the world and so hell's just going to shut its doors for a little bit of time we're more concerned about giving people covid than we are concerned about giving people the gospel say well they could die of covid i get that and there's got to be precautions. You've got to be safe with things. But people die and go to hell every day. When we look at this passage of Scripture, you've got to understand, many people will not get to Jesus unless someone brings them. This man couldn't get there on his own. Because, <laughs> you know, as a boy, I didn't get to Jesus on my own. I had a great Sunday school teacher that shared with me the gospel and helped me get to Jesus. My parents had a good church that reached out to them and they got to Jesus. This man couldn't do it on his own. You've got to understand something this morning as we get to the end here and as we look at a couple things. Do we help people get to Jesus? Or do we hinder people from getting to Jesus? These guys' faith, th their faith was put into action. Remember what it says in the book of James, James chapter number 2? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. But I'm going to show you my faith by my works. These men showed great faith. And Jesus saw their faith. And I wrote down seven traits in these guys that we all need. You say, seven, they're going to go quick. Number one, here we go. They cared. What do we need today? What can help us get people to Jesus? First, we need to care. We just need to care. In our world today, we are very selfish people. 
To us in general, it's natural to be selfish. It just is. That's how we are. Because of sin, it's natural to be selfish. But we just need to care. You know, we don't know in this passage, did they find this guy on the side of the road and they decide to help him get to Jesus? Was this a family member? Was this a friend? The Bible doesn't tell us. But we see that four guys cared enough to get their friend to Jesus. And you've got to understand, remember the leper last week or two weeks ago as we looked at the passage? Jesus cared enough to heal the man and to help the man? We just need God's people to care about other people. We talked about two weeks ago, there are so many in, out in our communities. I don't care who they are. I even mentioned Raider fans. God cares about them. We need to care about them. We need to care about the bum on the street, the drunkard on the street. We need to care about the homosexual. We need to care about everyone. Jesus did. Maybe we need to just ask God, God, help me care. Help me reach out. Do I, as we think about this, ask God to slow you down enough to care for somebody. Care for people. It's so important. Ask God to help you see people as he sees people. That's quite a prayer right there. That's what we need today. If you realize that you struggle caring for those who are different than you, shame on you because jesus is willing to care and guess what we were all different than him each and every one of us but he cared first thing is we just got to care these men cared for this man number two we need courage we need courage it took tremendous courage for these guys to climb up on the roof with this fella to tear the roof off the place and to lower him down that took courage I wonder what their families thought of them. I wonder what the people down the street thought of them as they carried this guy. It takes courage. Doing the work of God, doing what God's called us to do. You've got to understand, you gotta, the other part of it is, there's no guarantee that Jesus would heal the guy. Because we read in the last passage that God healed many. He didn't heal everybody. And so faith often involves risks. Have courage in God. Kind of what the Lord told Joshua in Joshua 1 9 have not I commanded thee be strong and of a good courage be not afraid neither be dismayed for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest hey we got to care we need courage here's a good one we need creativity be creative say be creative yeah these guys when they got to the house that was full they could have said well buddy we got you as far as we can get you you got to figure it out for yourself no. They thought outside the box. But that's not how we do things. I know you don't tear a roof off people's houses. That doesn't really, that's not a great thing to do to a friend or to someone you don't know. I don't suggest you go tear their roof off their house. But they're creative. Let me give you a thought. We're five weeks away from Easter. Every year we're going to have a huge Easter egg hunt have big services do all these different things last year that was our first drive-in service remember we had like three weeks where we didn't meet and then that was our first drive-in service on easter and since easter we've met in person ever since if it was driving for a few weeks where we went back to services we've been doing it for over a year and i regret the three weeks that we didn't meet we should have met those three weeks should have done it but that's hindsight hindsight you always see things better than what you do 
when you're in the moment. But you've got to be creative. I've been racking my brain. How can we reach people for Easter? Having the traditional Easter egg hunt, inviting people on the Saturday before, I don't think is going to get you a ton of people right now. Say why? Because people are still worried about COVID. It will shame on them. We just do what we do. No, 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 no. We got to be creative. We got to think outside the box and how we can get people to Jesus. That's the passage right here that we read. Well, if they want him, they can just find him. No, we got to make him accessible to them. So, you got any ideas? I've got some. I haven't, if you notice in your bulletin, said to be determined what our Easter outreach is because I don't have a complete plan. And if you got an idea, share it. I had someone last year say, well, Pastor, you said share ideas. You can share ideas with me. But the thing is, if you're willing to share ideas, you got to be strong enough to, if I don't use your idea, to be okay with that, okay? And so, because we all, I tell you, for every one good idea I come up with, there's probably 25 bad ones. And you might have the, you might have the great idea. I wonder which one of these four guys had the idea to tear the roof off the house. You know, one of those four guys must have been like, there's no way we can do that. And somehow they ended up doing it. And they got the man to Jesus. We need to be creative. You know, I've put some thought, do we put together an Easter meal with a ham and different things and invite people to come and get that and then do like a drive-in and have Easter eggs in bags already ready for the families and do something like that. I don't know, maybe something like that. Sunday, su- Easter Sunday, normally a big day at church. All of you don't have a problem staying in this building. There are a lot of people in our community that don't want anything to do with sitting inside of a building. So you're like, so let them do what they want. No. That there's for some reason, some people like to be religious twice a year. I call them the poinsettias and the Easter lilies. That's what I call them. Because Easter and Christmas are the two times some people feel really religious. Say, so what are we going to do? We might have an outdoor service on that Sunday. Say, why? I hate being outside. I hate the cars driving by. I, I just don't like it. I like being in here. God gave us a building to be inside the building, not to be outside. Say, but why would we do an outdoor service? being creative, trying to help get people to Jesus. Because if one person came to Jesus, it would be worth every effort that goes into it. So we got to be creative. These guys were very creative. Number four. We're almost done. Number four. Got to be committed. These guys could have partway through, they get to the house and they got their friend, they're like, you know what? We tried, but there's too many people, we just can't get you in. Or as they're climbing up the side of the house, Dude, you ate one too many donuts yesterday. You're a little too heavy. We can't get you up here. They didn't stop. They stayed committed to the task. They were, there were probably roadblocks. They didn't drop him off and leave him. There were difficult times transporting him, all these different things. They had to climb up these stairs, do all these different things. They did not give up. Stay committed. Be committed. Number five, we're almost there. These guys had conviction. They had conviction. They had to. How else did they keep, how, why else would they climb up the side and do all these different things? They, they believed that Jesus was who he said he was and that they just needed to get their friend to Jesus. They had some conviction. Let me ask you this morning, how many of you believe that Jesus is the answer to this world's problems today? Can I see your hands? So what are you doing about it? You can say it all you want to. These guys believed it and they did something about it. What are you doing about it? There was, they had conviction. Are you convinced 
are, do you have, are you convinced that those who die without Christ go to hell? That's Bible. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by him. Do you ever doubt and say, well, I don't think that person could ever get, don't give up on people. Aren't you glad that God never gives up on us? There are times where I want to give up on people. There are. But then God reminds me, Brian, I haven't given up on you yet. And thank God he hasn't given up on me. Let's stay committed, but also let's have some conviction. Then number six, only two left. I told you these will go pretty quick. We need some cooperation. There's no way one guy could have gotten this guy to Jesus. In fact, two maybe could have struggled. I don't think two could have done it. Three, if you had three corners and one corner with no guy, he could have fallen right off that fourth corner, right? There were four guys that were needed. Four was perfect because they could each take a corner. I think you could say it like this. Four of a kind beats a full house. Some of you card people, shame on you for knowing what that meant there. They were going in the same direction, traveling at the same speed, cooperating with each other, getting the guy to Jesus. That's what we need in the church today. We're all going to have different ideas. We're all going to have different thoughts. We might not all agree on something, but what is our purpose? To exalt the Savior, to edify the saints, and to evangelize the lost. That's our mission. And we might see things differently at times, and we will, because no two people think the same. They don't. But you know what we can do? We can all have the same goals. And the mission is more important than my opinion. The mission's what matters. And those guys, I'm sure, had different ideas. We could do it this way. We could take, we'd take this man on, the, on his bed, and we could fling him back and just launch him into the crowd, and Jesus could heal him right then before he hit the ground. That would have been a very bad idea. But it's a pretty crazy idea to take him up on top of the roof and lower him down too. But they all work together for a common goal of getting this man to Jesus, and that's what church should be about. The common goal of us cooperating, working together, is getting people to Jesus. And number seven, it, there's a cost to it. Ministry always costs. It does. It does. It will cost you something to bring people to Jesus. It always does. Because guess what? If it were easy to bring people to Jesus, everybody would do it. But that's not how it is. It might cost you financially. It might cost your reputation. It will certainly cost you time and energy. And you might have to miss your favorite TV show. Ministry costs. But these guys, after all that they went through, can you just imagine them looking into the house and seeing that man get up? And not only was he healed, but he had his name written in the book of life. Be a part of that. God, you're so good. That's what it's all about. Getting people to Jesus. The invitation is simple this morning. 